Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. All right, welcome back to Inside Sources. This is hour number two. And it's great to be with you. As a reminder, you're here with Kate Clunt and Scott Clunt, but Boyd is usually here. One to three. Scott Clunt. Oh my gosh. Scott Simpson. Scott. Oh, I thought something That's happened. My father in law. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. But usually it's Boyd from one to three every weekday on KSL News Radio. Uh, it's time for us to dig a little deeper, as Boyd would say. And so we have Bill Duncan on the phone with us. And we are going to ask him some questions. We're going to go back to the Dobbs decision and the Supreme Court overturn of Roe v. Wade from this morning. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me. Bill, can you just walk us through the the constitutional issue here that that, uh, was decided in this case? Sure. The the court has – abortion has been an issue the Supreme Court's dealt with a lot. But the really important – His context is that in 1973, the Supreme Court had ruled that the U.S. Constitution uh, prohibits the states from regulating abortion. In other words, there is a fundamental right to abortion that has to be protected, and the states cannot uh, limit that right. And then, so that was obviously a controversial decision, and states continue to push back over the years, trying to enact restrictions or even get the court to reconsider the 1973 Roe versus Wade decision. In 1992, the court decided that they would um, uphold Roe to say that was right. There is a constitutional right to abortion. Um, And they based that solely on the idea that, hey, look, we already decided this. We can't go back on it now. Well, in today's case, in the decision that was issued today, uh, the Supreme Court said, well, actually, if, if the court was wrong in 1972, then the mere fact that it issued an opinion doesn't make that opinion right, you know, just by virtue of it having been around for a number of decades. And so we're going to reexamine that. So they reexamined, said nothing in the Constitution requires the states to uh, allow for abortions. And so the states now are free to determine what their each state's policy will be regarding abortion. And that's kind of the, I think, I hope the basic way of understanding this case. This was kind of an interesting case in that there was a leaked draft opinion. Um, Could you tell us, were there any meaningful differences from Justice Alito's leaked draft opinion from back in May? That's a great question. It it is. And and it's unique. As far as we know, there's never this has never happened. There have been some hints that a case might come down a certain way, but never uh, kind of the theft of a document sort of situation like this one. But it did, it didn't appear to make any cha- major changes in the in the opinion uh, of um, the majority, which was written by Justice Samuel Alito. What we didn't see at the time that uh, this the er, the opinion was leaked was how the other justices would respond. 
And so uh, that that opinion has now been supplemented by 100 plus pages of uh, additional arguments from other justices, either agreeing with the court's majority opinion or dissenting. So those are all new. But other than that um, and some some minor changes, the opinion pretty much looked like what Justice Alito had uh, had uh, drafted that that was then uh, leaked. Bill, there's been a lot of uh, hyperbole, uh, obviously, uh, around this issue for decades. But even just this morning, I saw a lot of amplified conversation around uh, Justice Thomas's opinion and sort of laying a few other cards on the table. He did it himself. He was alone. But I just wondered if you could right. speak to that. What does that mean? Sure. It's it's a it, Justice Thomas. One of the things that uh, that uh, is helpful about his opinions is that he's he wants to be very clear on uh, you know what what does the Constitution mean? Where where does a a right come from? If someone says something is a constitutional right, how how is that the case? So he, more than other justices, he's often uh, likely to kind of to to explain. Um, uh, you know his constitutional reasoning, and as you said, this is he was just speaking for himself, his his own take on this. But uh, the concern he's raised in in the opinion today was with cases that the court has decided where they say, well, even though the Supreme Court, or, I'm sorry, the Constitution doesn't specifically mention this topic, marriage or contraception or privacy or abortion or or whatever the things are. Um, uh, we can kind of imply that the spirit of the Constitution requires this result. And Justice Thomas is, is arguing that that's, that's a business the court should remove itself from. Uh, if, if the text of the Constitution or the uh, original understanding of the Constitution requires a certain result, then that's definitely what the court should do. Uh, you know, it should act on that. But if, if the Constitution is silent, the Supreme Court he's arguing shouldn't read into um, uh, its provisions, you know, use a word like liberty to introduce other things that the Constitution wasn't ever intended really to address. So um, now, you know, of course, as uh, he mentioned specific cases, some of which are are very, uh, probably all, almost all of which are very unlikely to actually change, partially because um there's not a constituency to, to make changes. You know, there's nobody really is clamoring to change that. But but the principle is an important one. Do Does the Supreme Court really have the authority to read into the Constitution things that are not uh, weren't clearly um, part of the understanding when it was drafted? And and so they, that's that's all that he's raising. Of course, you can read into that. Well, gosh, you know, if, if Justice Thomas uh, prevails and these other cases will be overruled. But I think that's that's overreading what he's doing, which is explaining a principle that uh, I think is defensible. Okay, so um, just a follow up, I guess, a similar question. Justice Roberts, he issued his own opinion as well. And I I wonder if does that do, do you see politics in that? Does that have anything to do with his role as the chief justice? Well, that's there's a lot of speculation about that, of course, and it's a thoughtful question. Uh, and and of course, since he didn't say, we don't know for sure. Sure, um, it, it's it has been noted that, and I think I and others have seen the same thing that the chief justice is always concerned to um, uh, ensure that the that 
to the degree it's possible that any decision the court makes is as narrow as possible, meaning only um, addressing an issue it has to address. Um, and I think most people think that that's most of the justices, I'm sure, and, and probably most constitutional lawyers would agree with that principle. The question is sort of where does that principle go? Uh, for Justice Alito and the, and the majority, they felt like, well, we have to address the question of whether the Constitution protects abortion. Um, in this case, Chief Justice Roberts felt like the uh, court only needed to address the question of whether the specific Mississippi law was constitutional. He said it is constitutional. Mississippi should be free to uh, uh, prohibit abortions after 15 weeks. And so uh, you know, we don't need to go into the question of constitutionality. Um, I, just, I, 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 w- I would hesitate to say that that's a political decision, um, but but it's it probably prioritizes some principles, the principle of uh, making a narrow decision over other constitutional principles, uh, like the ones that Justice Thomas and Justice Alito have focused on, which is we've got to make sure that we get the interpretation of the Constitution right, because if we don't, then there's no set standard that we can use to determine you know, future constitutional cases. So what what's next? What happens uh, for the court next? I, I'm, a, I'm kind of sort of yeah, at a loss for words because it just seems like <laughs> there's going to be, a, I presume that there'll be a mountain of cases that come from things like the, you know, the whole interstate transportation or yeah, all yeah. of the, all of these things. That's a that's a really thoughtful point, and and not a lot of people have talked about that. Um, you know, one interesting thing is that probably not a lot changes immediately. Um, I mean, in Mississippi, um, the uh, the state can now enforce its its law, um, but people, of course, have been on notice for some time that that's likely to happen. In other states, a state like Utah that has a uh, what what they call a trigger state, in other words, just a statute that's uh, only goes into effect when the Supreme Court ruling happens, meaning they didn't want to try and enforce a law that could be struck down. Now that it won't be struck down, it can go into effect. So that will will limit the, some of the circumstances in which an abortion could occur. Many states uh, don't really have any law in the books related to this because the Supreme Court had previously said they can't. Bill, I've got to, so, I'm, um, I apologize. We're yeah. up against the break, but thank you so much for no joining problem. with us. Bill Duncan, constitutional law attorney and research fellow at the Southern Sutherland Institute. There'll be more to come on Inside Sources. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.